God wants you to experience the life that He designed. We can't allow life to kill the dream that we dream. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. You will look back on your life and you'll say, man, life is good. The Word of God brings the abundant life into focus and within your grasp. As you listen, open your heart and discover life. Christmas is kind of bittersweet for me because when I was a kid, my first time performing, I was six years old. And uh, I was performing in our Christmas pageant at church. And I had one line in one song. It was the song, Do You Hear What I Hear? And I messed it up. I sang, a child, a child, sleeping in the night with a tail as big as a kite. That's not the way that song goes, ladies and gentlemen. People get mad when you sing about baby Jesus with a tail. Think about that song, Do You Hear What I Hear? It's Psycho. Who wrote that? Said the little lamb to the shepherd boy. I think the shepherd boy's been in the field a little too long, don't you? (laughs) Talking to the sheep. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Oh, we got to tell the mighty king. It's worse, they go to the mighty king, you know. A child, a child, shivers in the cold. Let us bring him silver and gold. How about a blanket? How about some soup? Child shivered in the cold! Throw some gold on him, he'll be fine. (laughs) He's got pneumonia, but he's loaded. That kid is going to be some... You guys do okay? That's my favorite song. I can't believe you destroyed it for me. But anyways, well, we just want to tell you, um, I'll make you aware of a couple things that are coming up. In, uh, in February, around uh, the exact dates are in the bulletin, uh, we're having a, a marriage retreat, and we only have room for so many couples, and it does cost. Again, we don't charge, but they, uh, they charge about, I think it's like $350. It's pretty intense. It's like three and a half days, but it's, um, it's like I've heard so many good reports about it. And so I think everybody should do something every year for their marriage. And this would be like a real intense uh, time to enrich your marriage and to make it uh, even better than it already is. Amen? And the people, um, they're from uh, Bethel in Redding, California, but it's actually a People that have gone through it say that it was, it's a life-changing uh, experience. So it is three and a half days, and it's $350, but it's, it's really a, a, a beneficial for you. So that's, that's, uh, the dates are in your bulletin. It's February 14th, I think it's 14th through 17th, something like that. Then also, uh, the month of February and March, we're doing Dave Ramsey. Again, the charge for that is $106, I believe it is. 109, my wife. So anyways, that also is in your bulletin. But I just want to let you guys know that if you have never been through a Dave Ramsey course, you should take one. It will absolutely help you a lot. Amen. Uh, and then the third announcement, just let you know about this, is um, as a church, we're going to be reading through the New Testament this year, starting January 1st. 
And again, the reading for the week is in your bulletin. It's also posted on Facebook. And so I just want to encourage everybody to read through the New Testament with us. Now, some people go, why don't you just read through the whole Bible in a year? Well, when, you, when it comes to reading Scripture, quality is better than quantity. Quality is better than quantity. Take my word for it. I've been reading the Bible for over 40 years. Quality is better than quantity. So in other words, you know, if you, if you read through the whole Bible, you have to read probably, in a year, you probably have to read six chapters a day, something like that. And uh, so what happens a lot of times, you just read and read, and so you go, what did you get from it? I didn't get anything. And it's better to get something, how many of that's true? It's better to get something than just to try to read a marathon approach to reading the Bible. And so we're going to be reading Scripture all together, the same Scripture every week together. Uh, we'll be posting on Facebook certain things. How many saw me on my post on Facebook? Five people. Okay, good. You guys aren't going to raise your hand or anything. Who will give $1,000 in the... No, I'm just kidding. Okay, so anyways... <clears throat> Uh, so we want to do that together. We want to do that together. And kind of in, in honor of that a new uh, program, I hate to call it a program, that we're going to do this year together, reading through the Scripture, I want to talk to you a little bit about Scriptures today and about how to really have and experience freedom in your life. You know, um, I titled this message, A New Way in a New Day. How many of that all of us need a new day? But sometimes if we keep adopting the old way, we won't walk into a new day. And so our goal today is to try to get us to develop habits that cause us to experience a new day. Um, you know, we've come to the end of 2018. We're going to enter the 2019 now. And usually it's very common for people at this time of the year to make resolutions. Call them New Year's resolutions. It's kind of a tradition, uh, mostly in the Western civilizations, uh, which people resolve to change something that's undesirable about their life, a trait or a behavior, to accomplish a personal goal, otherwise improving their life. That's what a New Year's resolution. The sad thing about it is most of the resolutions that people start at the beginning of the year, by the time, I think it's like February or March, 80% of the people have already dropped those resolutions and are back to their old ways. Have you ever done that? I mean, you know, let me ask you this. Do you know somebody that has ever done that? How's that? <laughs> yeah, the guy I live with, he does it. But, but there is a way, there's a biblical way to really bring about change. Amen? And uh, because we all feel like we need to change. And um, we, need, we need serious, sometimes serious change, sometimes not so serious change. In other words, we're dealing with a habit or an addiction, something that we've done repeatedly that we don't want to do anymore. And, um, but, but change is difficult, especially if the condition has been around for a while. And, uh, you know, if you've been at this for a long time, doing this habit or this, this uh, addiction, whatever, maybe it's not even a habit or addiction. Usually it's kind of a habit or something that you want to stop. You know, I've met people that they've started something as a child or a young person, a teenager, and now they're in their 30s and 40s and they're still stuck with this something that they started and they can't break free. And uh, they mean well. They're sincere. I mean, we're not like insincere. We don't, it's not like we don't mean well. We mean well. We have good intentions, but we can feel like helpless in the presence of this thing. 
And so I heard John Maxwell say this one time. He said, you can't have uphill hopes, uphill life, uphill future with downhill habits. You know, we want our life to go uphill. We want it to go in a, a good direction. But if we have bad habits, our habits take us where uh, we sometimes don't want to go if we have bad habits. And so I heard this one preacher, he said it like this. He said, we don't determine our future we determine our habits, and our habits determine our future. So somebody goes, well, what, what's my future like? Well, let me ask you this question. What are your habits like? Because your habits determine your futures. You know, sometimes what we want is we want God to come, and we want him just to kind of zap us. And all of a sudden, wow! You know what I mean? Was that ever cool? And, you know, actually, I've, I've experienced at times where I struggled with something, and God just touched me or... He spoke to me, and from that point on, my life changed. I tell you this story once sometimes. I started smoking cigarettes when I was nine years old. Can you imagine that? Nine years old, I started smoking cigarettes. You say, where, who sold you cigarettes at nine years old? Well, we steal them. We, we buy them in machines, cigarette machines. Some of us don't even remember what they were. But we used to have cigarette machines. And they're always kind of, this one machine was in an isolated place, so I'd buy them there. Or if I really got desperate, I would just go to the store and there's these uh, sand things as you walk into the store and people would light up a cigarette and they take a couple puffs and they stick it in the sand and it would, it would go out, but it was mostly all there. So I'd collect all the butts and I'd go back there and smoke. But I started at nine years old and I loved the smoke. I mean, I enjoyed it so much. And, uh, and so, I, so when I got saved at 17 years old, I felt, I felt like I shouldn't smoke because our church preached against it, but I, I, was, I, I was addicted. So I had this thing where I would buy a pack of cigarettes, smoke a few, and then I'd drive down the road and I'd throw them out the window. So I'm quitting. Have you, ever, have you ever done that? And so then uh, the next day I'd run back in, in the bushes. I knew I threw it right here. I was right here looking for the pack of cigarettes. So I, that's what I'd do. And so I was, even after I was saved, I was kind of in and out. Sometimes I'd quit smoking and then I would, uh, I, would, I would start up again and then I'd quit again and then I'd start up again and I'd quit again. And I'd start up. How many know what I ever had that happen with an addiction? And so what happened to me one day was I was meditating, I was praying and God spoke to me and said, I don't want you to smoke anymore. And as soon as I heard that, I said, okay. And that was the last time I smoked a cigarette. So that was like pro- about 40 years ago uh, almost 40 years ago. I haven't had a cigarette in 40 years. But that deliverance came to me just at, as a snap of your finger. It just happened suddenly. I never smoked again. Now, other things that I've <clears throat> had to overcome, it wasn't that spontaneous. It wasn't that supernatural. It was actually, I wanted to quit something. I wanted to stop something. And God put me in a process. Everybody say Process. I'd rather have it happen to me, you know, where, where you have like a torment or something happening in your life and you get delivered in a minute, just like, bam, it happens in a second. And all of a sudden it's over with. I mean, I still think about smoking. Actually, I, once in a while I think, maybe I should take up smoking again, you know, but <laughs> why? <laughs> why would you do that? I mean, it's crazy. But, uh, but to, for me, it's like when God spoke to me, gave me that word, I, want, I don't want you to smoke anymore. It's like the grace came to overcome it. 
And, and so from that point on to this point, it's not that I haven't thought about it. I haven't really, I can't say I've been really strongly tempted, but I've had the thought. But I just go, no, God said, I don't want you to smoke anymore. That to me settles it. And I believe that's the way God wants to handle us. He wants us to be able to hear his voice about certain things. And, um, but but uh, sometimes things leave our life through a process. And so you can't, and, and what we do is over time that we develop things that actually habits, we develop habits, there are actually good habits that create a life that goes in the right direction. So it's kind of like this, uphill habits create an uphill life. Uphill habits create an uphill life. Downhill habits create a downhill life. So the direction that your life's going to go in is really uh, determined by the habits that you have that you create right now. Sometimes to develop a good habit, you have to have people to help you create a good habit so that your life will go in a good direction. Uh, so in a lot of ways, life is not a, not, life is not a mystery. But, but here's the thing. God wants us to experience freedom. In fact, the Bible tells us, promises us freedom. Jesus announced, he proclaimed freedom to the captives. Freedom. I've, I'm anointed to proclaim freedom to the captives. We're anointed to proclaim freedom to the captives. What you've been struggling with, you don't have to struggle with it anymore. There's an answer for it in God. And part of the freedom, or where it starts, is we have to actually change the way that we think. Thank you, Steve. That was awesome. How many know what I mean? That we have to change the way we think. Much of captivity is primarily the way that we think. We're a captive in a certain way that we think. You know, it's interesting when I, when I first got saved. You know, I I was raised in church, so I tried to live for God, but I I was incapable of doing it because I had so many temptations as a young man. I didn't know any Christians. We lived in California by San Francisco. I didn't know any Christians. It was during the hippie movement. It was a real heavily drug culture, and uh, it was a crazy culture to be honest with you. That's where I lived. And I didn't know one Christian. I think I knew one Christian that was, one girl that was kind of nerdy that was a Christian. And I just thought, eh, I don't think so. And, uh, and so I was just kind of, I was just kind of on my own. I wanted to be a Christian. But here, here was a thought that I had. I don't know where I got the thought. That if you ever commit sin, you can't be a Christian. You can't be a Christian anymore. That Christians don't sin. And so if I, if I surrender my life to Christ... But if I, sin, if I sin, it means I didn't mean it. And so that God's given up on me because I had this feeling of guilt or shame. And so then I thought, well, God's given up on me. So I'd always like, even actually I, when I really committed my life to Christ, I didn't tell anybody for a few weeks because I wanted to make sure I was serious about it. And that was a, that was a thought that I had in my mind that was actually a lie. Another lie that I believed was, to get filled with the Holy Spirit, you had to clean your life up because the Holy Spirit is pure and he won't, he won't land or he won't descend upon or come upon anybody that's not pure and because it's the Holy Spirit. And so he won't come upon anybody that's pure. So we'd always tell people that we're seeking the Holy Spirit, you've got to clean up your life. Like I heard this one guy from a holiness church 
This lady came forward seeking the Holy Spirit, and she had a wedding ring on. She had a gold wedding ring on with a diamond. And he came over to her and said, if you take that gold wedding ring off and that diamond off, God will fill you with the Holy Ghost. I mean, that was kind of the mentality. It was a lie. It wasn't true, but it was something that we, we believed. It was a falsehood. It was a lie that kept us from experiencing what God had for us. How many know that God gives us things based on grace? And the reason he gives us those things is because we need them. We need the Holy Spirit to clean up this mess. Right? I mean, if I could clean myself up, I wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. I mean, what, I got, what, what do I need him for if I can do it up myself? And so the Holy Spirit, because, you know, I've gone to different countries where people just got saved and some of them were into idol worship and uh, worshiping religious false gods. And I've, got, I've seen them get saved and spirit-filled the same night. And uh, so the Holy Spirit comes in to help clean us up to help change us, to help transform our life, to cause us, to give us the ability to live a new type of life. But what I'm trying to say is that all those ideas, those are falsehoods. Falsehood, and a lot of times they become strongholds in people's minds. We have concepts of way that God's going to move and who, will God, who God will bless. We think a certain way, and a lot of times those lies or those deceptions keep us from God's best. And so the first area of freedom that has to come is freedom to our thought lives. So captivity primarily is the way that we think. That means before, before our life becomes captive, our thought life becomes captive. That's really actually a very good point. Our thought life becomes captive. The Bible talks about strongholds in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5, and that's what we're talking about. That's really what it is. It's a stronghold. Paul said this, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. They're not carnal or natural weapons. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. You know, and you think about that, a stronghold. You know what the Greek word stronghold means? A stronghold. It's a hole that's strong, right? It's a stronghold. It's something that's strong, and it's got, and it's got a hole on you. But then, how many have ever knows, how many know somebody that has experienced a stronghold? Not you personally. Yeah, it's a stronghold, something that holds you and it's very strong. But notice where these strongholds are. He says, we demolish arguments. The stronghold's an argument. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments in every pretension. That's where the word pretend comes from that sets itself against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So I heard one time a preacher say this. He said, if you fail, if you sin, don't run from God, run to God. And he, when he said that, now that may not sound like a, a major, like, wow to you, but at that point, when I heard that preacher say that, at that point in my life, my Christian life, when I would screw up, I'd run away from God. I'd say, just like Adam and Eve, I, I'd cover myself with, with fig leaves and hide among the trees of the garden. I wouldn't run to God because I thought he was angry, disappointed, upset, that he was going to punish me in some way. I, try. I thought, I need to hide. I need to quit going to church. I need to quit praying, quit reading my Bible because I failed. That's a stronghold. That's contrary to the way God wants you to think. When you fail, God says, run to me. Run to me. Get forgiveness. Get 
get us reestablished, get re, re, uh, re-hooked up, and then I will help you with this situation. So these strongholds are basically lies and deceptions that are built thought by thought in our minds and in our imaginations. They're strongholds. They manifest themselves in physical actions, activity, the things that we do outside. Our, our, our thought life, once our thought life is captured by something, then our actions follow. You don't, you don't think one way and then act another way. You act based on how you think. How many of that's true? Actions follow thoughts. And so when you think a certain way, your actions will follow. That's why we're not trying to just change your outward behavior. Christianity is not behavior modification. Christianity is a powerful transformation by the power of God and by the power of truth, the truth of his word. And so these strongholds are lies and deceptions that are built up thought by thought in our minds or imaginations. And through strongholds, we become prisoners locked up by deception. That's why we feel helpless. A stronghold makes us feel helpless, that we can't get free. And so, and we live our lives by something that's not true. That's what's happening, is we're basically living our life by something that's not true. Because all truth is found in God and in Scripture. Jesus said, thy word is truth. So anything that exalts itself in our minds, pretending to be bigger and more powerful than God, is a lie or deception. If you say that I'm beyond hope, that's a lie or a deception. That's a stronghold. If you say, I've been in this situation, my life will never change. I'll always be like this. I'll be defined by this. This is what my life will become. That's a lie and that's a deception because Jesus died so you could be free. And you can be free. doesn't matter what it is. You can be free. Um, and so what happens is, you know, I remember one time I was, re- I was watching this documentary. I don't know if you've ever seen it by a lady named Elizabeth Smart. She was a girl, I think she was like 14 years old. And she was kidnapped in the middle of the night by knife, by knife point, by this crazy guy that thought he was a prophet. He brought her up into the woods where he, him and his wife, where he raped, he married her in this hocus pocus ceremony, and then he raped her every day for nine months. And they lived like homeless people. They lived in a tent for a while, then they traveled, and they, I think they went to California, and they just, she starved, and she was raped every day by this crazy guy. But there's a scene in, in, in her life, about two weeks after she got taken, he put a veil across her face, and they went out in public. She had her hair covered in a veil, and she wore this goofy-looking robe, and they walked around, and she walked around in public. And there's this one scene where they were in a library. I think they were trying to get some information or something. And, um, and the librarian called the police, and the police came. And the police came up to, came up to her, and the, there's three of them, and started asking questions. They said, we're looking for Elizabeth Smart. Now, the police was this close to Elizabeth, this close. All she had to say was, I'm her. It's over with. All she had to say is, I'm her. And this captivity, because it went on for like eight more months. All she had to say was, I'm her. I'm the one you're looking for. This police specifically asked her, have you seen Elizabeth Smart? Are you Elizabeth Smart? This police specifically asked her, 
And she was so afraid. This guy had, had convinced her that if you, if you turn me in or if you say something, I will kill your family. I'll kill your siblings. I'll kill everybody in this library. I'll kill everybody. And she, he had convinced her of that so much that that lie was in her head that she, she wouldn't speak up. And the policeman was that close to her. And I think that I use that story, I tell you that story, because I think that deliverance or freedom is that close to us. It is, it is a it is a inspired phrase, an inspired word away. It's not like a thousand miles away, it is close to you, it's near you, it's very close, it's right by you right now. All it takes is one word from God. And God putting you or directing you in a process. And freedom and deliverance will come to your life. It's that close. There are no impossible situations with God. Amen, Steve. Preach. I believe I will. Thank you very much. So what happens is lies and deceptions are are designed to distort the image of God. What God thinks about us. Like sometimes we think, well, God's given up on us. He hasn't given up on us. If you're still sucking air, God hasn't given up on you. Amen? What God thinks about us. Who we are. God doesn't favor us because we're, we do everything right. Christians aren't perfect people. They're forgiven people. That, uh, I mean, God forgives us not because we're good. He blesses us not because we're good, but because he's good. I think I should say that again. I think that was pretty profound myself. It's not because you're good, because he's good. He doesn't do it because he sees that you're doing this or doing that. He does it because he's good. He does it for himself. He does it because of his great mercy. I remember I talked to a guy one time that ran from God all his life. And then he got sick. And then he came to church and he, he wanted me to pray. And I said, you know, God, I, I, I said, well, we need to get right with God. You know, I said, we should pray here, the sinner's prayer, whatever. And he goes, you know, I feel bad because he said, I've been, I've been, you know, turning my back on God all my life. And now I'm in trouble and I come to him. And he goes, now I feel a little funny about it because I feel like, you know, he's, he'll look at me and say, where you been? Now, of course, now you come when you need help. But I said, have you ever heard the word Mercy. Do you know what mercy is? Mercy is, you don't deserve this, but I'm going to give it to you. That's what mercy is. Amen. Mercy, you don't deserve it. Grace, you don't deserve it. If you deserved it, it wouldn't be grace. It'd be payment. Boy, I think I'm preaching better than you're responding. And so, lies or deceptions are are over what, what God thinks about us, who we are, and what God made us to be. I mean, these are incredible. If you believe lies, your potential will be so, will, will stay trapped inside of you. Your potential will stay trapped inside of you if you believe lies. And so strongholds make us feel helpless. If you feel helpless, it's basically, it's because you believe something that's not true. Makes us feel hopeless Strongholds make us feel like we're controlled, that we don't have freedom, that we don't have options. Strongholds can actually even give us an identity. Like, you know, I, I'm not picking on any program, but, you know, like AA 
has helped millions and millions of people. But one point about it that I don't like is they, 30 years later, the guy has drank anything in 30 years, and he gets up and said, hi, I'm Fred, I'm an alcoholic. They never lose that tag, I'm an alcoholic. That tag stays with them. But really, the truth is, and I'm not picking on AA, please don't misunderstand me, but the truth is that you're not an alcoholic. You're a new, if you're a Christian, you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. You have a new identity. And some, uh, sometimes strongholds give us a, a, an identity that's other than what God says about us. Strongholds can consume our emotional energy, make us feel exhausted, weak all the time. It's almost like we're staked to something, a chain to some stake, and we just we pull on it and pull on it, but we can't break free because we think that that's it. You know, they say this, and I don't know, I, I, I know it's not flea markets, but they say, I read this in a book where they talk about, about fleas. I don't know who does these, does these researches, but they say that they can put fleas in a bottle. Who would ever want to collect fleas? I don't know, but they put fleas in a bottle, and the fleas try to jump out of the bottle, but they put a lid on the bottle so they can't jump out. And so the flea, you can hear the fleas. I, I guess they're big fleas. You, <laughs> I mean, I'd like to meet the guy that said, hey, I get it. Let's, let's study fleas. You know, I don't know who this guy is, but, or lady, whatever. But anyway, so, so, so the fleas are in there, and they're jumping up, and they're hitting the lid of the jar. Bang, bang, bang. Not quite that loud. Probably be more like, tuh, 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 like that. But, but after a while, after a while, the fleas stop hitting the, the lid on the jar. And then they can take the lid off and the fleas won't jump out. They'll only jump as high as the lid was. Because even though they took the lid off the jar... The lid is now inside the flea's head or inside the flea's brain. If a flea has a brain, I don't know, but, but, it's, <laughs> but all of a sudden it has been trained. It has been trained by its environment. Do you know sometimes that we are trained by our environment? We are trained by, we're, we're, we have, you know, they say that about the four-minute mile, you know, that people tried to break, or guys and girls tried to break the four-minute mile for centuries. They couldn't do it. Finally, when one person did it, then the next year, I think 30 people did it. The minute it was done, all of a sudden the lid came off of people's heads. So that's what I'm still working on that four minute. <laughs> Why are you laughing? It's possible. Don't have that lid in your head. Don't think that. Get that lid out of your head. <laughs> but anyway, so, so what Scripture does is Scripture introduces us to the truth of God's Word. One of the biggest areas of, of confinement or strongholds is the area of fear. I don't know if you ever battle with fear at all. Thank you, sister. <laughs> now, I mean, there's, there's healthy fears. I'm not going to talk about healthy fears today, but, but, there are un, but there are unhealthy fears. Let me... My time's actually up, but let me just, can I give you a few things here? Can you just absorb a few more things here? Because I, I, I've struggled with fear. I remember when I was a kid, I think I was eight years old or something. I was, uh, have, it was one of my, it was my birthday party. And um, we were there and all my friends started, my parents, I think they went to buy the cake or something. 
And all my friends started coming over, and, uh, and all of a sudden, my friends were coming over. My mom and dad were gone, and this thought came to my mind. That's how it starts. It always starts with a thought. Your mom and dad have died in a car accident, and they, they won't be back. And they got, it got later and later. My friends are there. They're talking to me, and I'm like, I don't know where they are. And I started getting more. Have you ever had that happen? Getting more and more upset, more and more scared. Until finally when they came, I was sick, physically sick from fear. And I struggled with that fear for, for years. I struggled with it. And, uh, and, and that's how fe- and it tormented my life. When my mom, you know, my mom and dad both were going to be gone, I was just like beside myself because I thought, you know, if you're both gone, you're going to, because that thought came to my mind, you're going to, I'm going to die, you're going to die in a car accident and I'm going to be left alone on the streets. You know, that, that, that was the, the fear that I had that, that came in a thought and it gripped my life. And so I struggled with it for years. As a little kid, I struggled with it. And I discovered something that fear is to Satan what faith is to God. Job said this in Job chapter 3, verse 25 and 26. People debate about Job. And I'm not going to get into the debate about Job. But Job made this statement. He said, what I feared has come upon me. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. He said, what I feared came upon me. It's almost like the fear, the thing that I feared happened. It came. My fear drew it. My fear brought it to me. Isn't that horrible? Because Jesus made the same statement about faith. He said to people, as you have believed, so be it done unto you. So he said, Jesus said, your faith, as you believed, your faith brought this to you. As you believed, let it, so, let it be done unto you. Job said, the thing I feared came to me. So fear is to Satan what faith is to God. It's, it's the same thing. That's why the Bible says over and over, they say it, it's 365 times. I don't know if that's true or not. I've never done the, maybe the next time I take a vacation, I'll, do the, I'll look through the whole Bible and see if this is true. But someone said, and it was on the internet, so it has to be true. I, I just don't believe it was some guy in his underwear in his basement in his mother's house typing this out. That's when I hear these conspiracy theories. I think of some guy in his underwear in his basement living with his mommy typing this out. And then, you know, that's, that's the image I get. So... That's why me and my wife discuss conspiracy theories, and I'm not really up on them. Okay, I won't go into that. All right, so anyways, <laughs> and I can't remember what I was trying to say right now. Though 365 times, the Bible says what? Fear not. Don't you dare. It's like Jesus said, don't you dare get into fear. Don't you do it. Don't get into fear because you open the door to the devil. The thing that I feared has come upon me. Fear causes us to experience something that's un, an unseen reality before it happens. In other words, the dread, like in my case, you know, my parents dying, that the feeling of them dying, I experienced it, even though it wasn't even true, I experienced it. And fear causes you to experience something in the present. It's in the present tense, 
It's an unseen reality before it actually happens. And that's true of faith, too. Faith causes you to experience an unseen reality, a reality before it appears. In other words, people that actually believe God for something, they have joy before they ever see it. They experience joy because faith has lodged, has, has quickened in their heart and they live with the reality of that thing even though they haven't seen it. I mean, we as Christians, I hope we walk around living with the reality of heaven even though we haven't seen it. I, I just walk around going, well, like my wife, I used to tell, my, I'd leave, do something or whatever. My wife would say, well, be very careful because she had five kids. We had five kids, you know. And so I, I would always say to her, she hates this statement, but I'd always say to her, if I die, my trouble's over. I'll be up there on the streets of gold. I'll be running, a, I'll be running the four-minute mile. I'll be running. A, <laughs> amen? My trouble's over. Your trouble's just starting, you know. <laughs> I know that's horrible. Some of you look at me like, you are a terrible person. Why am I sitting here listening to you? I don't even understand it. Well, it's almost, I'm almost done, so that's good. But fear causes us to experience unseen realities before they happen. You live with the torment of the thing, even though the thing hasn't happened. So that's true of faith. Faith is the exact same. Faith's illogical. Fear's illogical. Faith brings the unseen realities of God's world into our world. Fear brings the unseen reality of Satan's realm into our world. Fear brings torment, anxiety, and despair. Faith brings peace, rest, and hope. Love drives out fear. Now, let me, let me finish with this last passage. Turn over here to John chapter 8. I'm going to quick, quickly end. I should have quit five minutes ago. Can you take just a few bit, minutes more? Just Okay, you're fine? I'm fine. Just keep going. We used to have crazy people that sit in the front row and I'd say, I need to wrap this up. And they'd always say, yeah, keep going. The people in the back would say, shut up up there. They didn't say that, but they had that look like, shut up. We don't say shut up in church. Please hold thy peace. So look at John chapter 8. In verse 31 it says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed, this is a real well-known passage, who believed in him. So Jesus said this to Jews that believed in him, people that were believers. He said, If you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I heard a preacher say this one time, and I've said it before, but this preacher said, truth doesn't make you free. You know, and so we're all a bunch of rednecks. We're ready to charge the pulpit, pulpit drag them outside, and throw them up in a tree somewhere, you know. Truth doesn't make you free. We're like, well, yes, it does. It says it right there. We're just, you know, get that mean look on our face, you know, like, because we're mean, you know. And we don't just think that this guy's misled. We're mean about it. He said, truth doesn't make you free. Only the truth you know makes you free. Then we go, oh, okay, okay. He didn't say truth makes you free. He said, you'll know the truth. And only the truth that you know makes you free. So if you know truth, the truth makes you free. How do you know truth if you continue in my word? So that means all of you should read with us. See how I worked that in? This year, the New Testament together. Why? Because quality is better than quantity. 
And so even though we'll be reading maybe, maybe sometimes only a chapter or sometimes half a chapter, but quality is better than quantity because what you want to know is you want to know the truth. And the truth that you know makes you free. Then in verse 30, they said, answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone, which is a total lie. They were under Roman occupation at this point. They were never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Now listen to this. Jesus answered them, most surely I say to you, whoever commits sin is the slave of sin. Whoever commits sin is the slave of sin. Sin is fun when you start. It makes you a slave. It makes you a slave. I started smoking cigarettes. Actually, the first time I smoked cigarettes and inhaled, I started getting extremely dizzy. I had to sit down. I almost passed out. And I thought God was killing me. (laughs) I thought, this is it. He's going to kill me right here. But then I kept on smoking and until finally I enjoyed it. And then it became, I couldn't stop. I used to smoke a pipe. And my whole mouth would become like leather. And all of a sudden I became a slave to it. I couldn't stop. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, most surely I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Whoever habitually practiced sin is a slave of sin. But then he says this, and this is really interesting. A slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. A slave doesn't abide in the house forever. What he's saying is that sin, if you don't deal with it, listen, if you don't deal with it, you don't get it out of your life, what it does, it leads you away. If you don't confront it, if you don't do something about it, it will lead you away. Because when, when sin becomes, you become a slave of sin, what happens is it will lead you away. How many can see what I'm saying? The, the slave doesn't abide in the house forever. You might come to church, you might call yourself a Christian, but inwardly your heart is somewhere else because your heart's been captured by sin. It's quiet in here. You should be going, yeah, amen, brother. I don't know who that you're talking about, but it ain't me. But that's serious. How many can see that? It's serious. So what do we go back to? We go back to the, if you continue my word, you're going to know the truth, and the truth you know is going to make you free You're no longer going to be a slave to sin. That's why when Christians give up reading Scripture, and I talk to, I've I've been asking people lately, do you read your Bible every day? I won't call names right here, but but people very often say, I don't read. And guys do that a lot. They say, I don't read. I'm looking at them going, what? You should read your Bible every day. You eat every day, right? You need spiritual nourishment every day. That doesn't mean that if you don't, read it one day that you're going to die and, and God's going to reject you. I'm not saying that. You don't do it for God's benefit. You do it for your benefit. Right? My dad was a businessman as the worship team comes. My dad was a businessman and for like 50, 60 years he read his Bible and prayed every single day. He was a very, um, how do you say, disciplined person and, you know, he had high power meetings and they had, they had companies all over the world. And it was, uh, you know, he had thousands of employees. But every morning, he only had a high school education. So every morning, he would, you'd find him at a certain time every morning. You could set your watch by it. Certain time every morning, you'd find him in his library 
with his Bible, reading it and praying every morning. You could, you could set your watch by it. You go, at a certain time, he had to be at work at a certain time. So at this time, he would be, I could say, well, it's, it's 7.15 in the morning. Where's dad? Well, we all know where he is. He's in his, his library, and he's reading, and he's praying. I know where he is. See, it was a habit. Remember, uphill habits, uphill life. I have a habit. I don't, if you have the habit, I don't read my Bible every day. I'm too busy. Downhill habits, uphill life? I don't think so. Downhill life. But he had that uphill habit. And he had guys working for him that had you know, doctorates in manufacturing or doctorates in this, all these big educated guys. But he was the CEO. He was the chief executive officer. And they had to come to him for decisions. And he said, they were a lot smarter than me, but I had... God's wisdom, because I, I studied and read the scriptures every day, and God talked to me about what I should do. He said, God actually talked to me about what to do, and he made some amazing decisions and did amazing things for the company, but here's my point, is that you say, well, I'm not a preacher. He wasn't either. He was a businessman. Every single one of us, who, even if you're not a preacher, you're called to be a disciple. If you're called to be a disciple, you believe in him if you continue in my word. If, if you continue my word, then you're my disciples indeed. You will know the truth because the truth is found in scripture. Truth destroys lies, expels, exposes, and destroys lies. You'll know the truth. The truth that you know will make you free. So powerful. Let's all stand together. God, God can change you or can, can bring down an issue that you have in your life, an addiction, a habit, something that you don't like to do, that you do do, that you don't want to do anymore. You know, people quote that verse where Paul said, the thing I want to do, I don't do, and the thing I don't want to do, that's what I do. Paul said, didn't say that as a Christian. He said that as a Jew under the law. Because if you keep reading there, he said, who will deliver me? He said, I thank my God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. He said, Jesus will deliver me. He said, I'm in this mess, or I was in this mess, but Jesus is the deliverer. Tell your neighbor, Jesus is the deliverer. He can, he can do it in a moment just by speaking a word, by by imparting grace. He can do it in a moment, but a lot of times he does it through a process. Process of hearing truth. Amen? Let's, re- let's sing this song together.
You make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus. Oh. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. You know, a lot of times potential and gifts that we have in our lives and potential that we have is locked inside of us and stays locked because of deception. We believe something that's not true. And so we live a life that is far beneath what God has for us. Amen. Praise God. That's why truth is so important. But I want to give you the opportunity if you need prayer. If you're here, we have the prayer counselors, please come forward. If you need prayer for anything, spiritual need, uh, physical, mental, emotional need, just please come forward as soon as I dismiss and be prayed for. Don't leave. Don't leave. If you're dealing with fear, the torment of fear or anything, just please come forward and, and be, uh, be prayed for. This year can be an incredible year if we deal, we go into God's process. And so I just encourage you, see, I think it's the 30th today, so Tuesday is the first. And so if you look at your bulletin there, you'll see the scripture reading for this week. Also, we have it on Facebook, on live, and uh, on Facebook. And so just go ahead and we start in the Gospel of John. Just read along with us and uh, let God put you in his process. Amen? Well, I truly pray, wish, desire, hope, believe that you'll have an amazing year. Twenty, Not that I'm never going to see you again, but I, I will, but... But I'm just saying that over this year, 2019, that it'll just be an amazing year, a year of breakthrough, a year of total change and transformation. Amen? So I want to encourage you uh, to believe God for this year. Believe God for big things. So uh, we have some refreshments in the back there. Please join us for some. But if you do need prayer, please come forward and uh, be prayed for. God bless you, everybody. You're and free I want to you go. to know that He can give you today a new future. We hope this message has been a blessing to your life. A copy of this message and additional Destiny Church materials are available at destinychurchexit77.org.